the name of Jesus, amen. If Christmas is a time for coming home, Advent is a time for God's calling us home. If you would permit a personal reflection, last September I was privileged to be invited to help in the 75th anniversary of the congregation in which I was born and raised. After a festival service, there was a luncheon in uh, what was the original church building, the first actual church they owned before they moved on in the 50s. That white colonial building is now the Elm Grove Women's Club, used also as a banquet, or in this case, luncheon venue. My comments began with a simple observation that about right over there, I was baptized. Ad fontes, indeed. Dear friends in Christ, we started our Advent journey in Jeremiah 33, if you recall, which is an echo of Jeremiah 23. In Jeremiah 23, the prophet, after excoriating and condemning all the kings of the house and lineage of David, right down to Jehoiachin, the youngest skin of the house, who was declared, write this man down as childless. Jeremiah ignores the last king, who was actually a generation before, if you recall, that was Zedekiah, Jehoiachin's uncle, and proceeds to speak of how God would come and destroy all the shepherds raise up a new shepherd. In fact, he would come himself. And in those days and at that time, Judah would be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely for the name by which he will be called is Yahweh Sidkenu, not Zedekiah. Yahweh Sidkenu, Yahweh is our righteousness. In Jeremiah 33, almost exactly the same prophecy is repeated, except there it is the city who will be called Yahweh Tzidkenu. As the king, so the city. As the king, so his people who dwell in safety and security there in the king's citadel. Advent 4 concludes our journey with words from the prophet Micah a good hundred years earlier about a much smaller town. Hardly a citadel, a little town called Bethlehem. By the time of the prophets, of course, David's royal city had become the citadel, Jerusalem. He took it from the Jebusites, fair and square, I suppose, established it as his, city of David. That's what real kings like the nations do. He built his palace there. And then he thought about building the temple. 
that priority was a sign of trouble just beginning, of problems from the start and problems yet to come. Nathan had to turn David around back then, but it didn't really stick. The royal line, the house of David, continued to lose its way. You know, it may seem hard to believe it, but even kings like David and Solomon, not to mention all the rest, actually had thoughts that the kingdom was about them and that they were kings. And as the king, so the city and the people. How quickly it all goes off the rails. The prophets were sent to set it straight, but it turned out to be fatally flawed. You see, it wasn't just a matter of working hard, of trying hard to get it right, to fix it, to right the ship, and hope maybe the next son of David would turn out to be better. No, there is only one way to deal with something fatally flawed, and that's to recognize the fatality and kill it, end it, start over, begin again with new life. We call it resurrection life. It can't fix itself, and part of the problem is that we actually think we can fix it. So God had to fix it. It's the only way it was going to work. He had to do it himself. Jeremiah spoke of destroying the evil shepherd kings and that God would come himself to be the shepherd king. Yahweh is our righteousness. Remember, not Zedekiah or any other king, or you and me for that matter, either. Not another good or even better son of David was going to correct the course. Not a Davidic heir this would take a new David. Not another son of David, but a shoot from the rootstock of Jesse. So back to Bethlehem we go. The little town of Bethlehem becomes again David's royal city. Not filled with palace, or frankly, temple, either, but humble, too little to be considered. Like David, he had seven brothers. He was the eighth, the youngest, the littlest. He didn't make the cut. He didn't even make the long list, but he was the one out being a shepherd, and the shepherd boy became the shepherd king. And so there would come yet one more son of Jesse. Not just another son of David, but a second David. Not just another son of man, but a second Adam. Not just David's son, but David's Lord. Not just a king like the nations, but a king for the nations. Not just a better crack at life, 
getting life right, enabled by the best socioeconomic theory debated endlessly in the run-up to another national election. <laughs> but death and resurrection, not just a hope of fixing the earth, cleaning up the landfill, but a new creation not just a renewed effort at righteousness and justice, not even a grace-inspired or grace-infused cooperation in righteousness, but Yahweh is our righteousness for us. For us. Given to us who were fatally flawed, dead in trespasses and sins, but Yahweh's righteousness, killed and raised on the eighth day, new life indeed, resurrection life. So where do we call home for the holidays? Where do we go home in Advent? Where were you born? Again, where were you baptized? I invite you to come home, ad fontis. And what do we find there in the font, there in Bethlehem's manger? There he is, that new son of David. A baby boy becomes God's great and good shepherd king. Savior of the nations, come. His reign will mean peace forever. He took on our flesh and killed it, took it with him into death so that he might start over, so that we might start over, so that he might start us over anew with resurrection life. Back to the beginning, starting over, coming home. This day, every day, every day, Every day, a new man comes forth and arises who will live with God in righteousness and purity forever. Yahweh is our righteousness. As the king, so his people. We know what it means to come home for the holidays, these special holy days. Come to the king's humble and holy citadel where God's people are saved and secure. Advent calls us home. Ad fontes, indeed. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.